0: What's up, FA Nation? Mike Alexander flying solo for this MMA DFS podcast. Uh, missing my my co-host Dan Malin here, but we're going to try and get through this pretty quickly. Uh, it's not the prettiest fight card as we've come to expect on the fight night fight cards during this COVID-curse uh, time. We've already lost one fight, a non-COVID-related uh, dropout from Carol Rosa, she had weight cut issues. She took the fight on late notice, so we're down to nine fights. But things have been such high variance; it really hasn't mattered. You know, a year ago, this kind of did when you got down to 11, 10 fights. Like there was just so many really similar lineups. But the fights they're putting together, and the you know the opponents they're they're matching up, the quality of, of footage, and all kinds of stuff, uh, it's just leading to really varied results. So even at nine fights, like it's not necessarily going to be a problem. You're not going to split the money with 100 people um, if you manage to pull off a GPP bank. So that all said, uh, we're going to jump into the fights. You can catch the DFS playbook, uh, usually Friday afternoons, uh, the podcast as well, you're listening to, and the, uh, the corner man video uh, usually comes out Saturday at some point as well as the wager alarm video with a few of my favorite bets. All right, housekeeping is done with. Let's jump right on in with the main event. Actually, a pretty solid fight here. They've, they've been managing to put together decent main events, despite everything. Alistair Overeem, 8800 on DraftKings, facing Augusto Sakai, 7400 You know, the, the reason this pricing is slightly... You know, over him is slightly lower than you would probably expect for a guy of his caliber, his pedigree, uh, his capabilities uh, against Sakai, is that he's, he's got chin issues, or so it's perceived. You know, people look and say, oh, he got, you know, he got hurt by, uh, he got hurt pretty badly by Francis Nganu in a first round knockout. Um, Curtis Blades put him on the ground and, and pieced him up with elbows. Share Rosenstreich, you know, snatched victory from the jaws of defeat just two fights ago by knocking him out uh, in the closing seconds of the fight. Walt Harris, his last fight, he gets hurt bad, but it manages to survive. Um, and that that last fight is the one that, that means the most to me right now. You know, Walt Harris hits as hard as anybody. Uh, Overeem didn't go out cold or anything like that. You know, he got hurt. He managed to, to get on the ground. Protect himself, survive it. Yes, you know you have to take the context of Walt Harris uh, was dealing with everything that happened with the death of his daughter and her kidnapping. He probably was not training anywhere near the level that he would have been. He ran out of gas after just a minute of, of throwing strikes uh, at a downed Overeem. Overeem manages to turn the, the tide and probably, you know, either wins or evens out the first round and then knocks him out in the second because Harris just has nothing left. Um, But he still took a great shot and survived. Rosenstreich, like Rosenstreich, you know, hit him in that fight. Uh, And even in the end of that fight with the knockout, it wasn't, you know, knocked out clean. He had just hit him in the mouth and his lip exploded like a giant piece of his face was gone. (laughs) Um, And, you know... Reem just kind of didn't pop right back up. The fight was waved off because Strike walked off. I don't know. I, I think a lot of refs probably would have let that go to the scorecards. They might have said, you know, uh, you don't get to just walk off and decide the fight is, is over and then you won by knockout. Um, you got to get in there and finish it, and he would not have had time for it. Uh, you know, beating Alexia Linick, you know... <laughs> Hard to say what that means. And then he smokes Sergei Pavlovich in Russia. So, you know, Riem is still dangerous. Uh, he's he's getting up there in age for sure. He's got uh, 63 career fights uh, in MMA, plus a kickboxing background, a pretty extensive kickboxing background. So the, the dude has the miles on him. But he's figured out how to take the damage and survive time and time again. And Inganu was really the only one who knocked him out cold and, you know, who hasn't gotten knocked out cold. All right, so that's that's over him. On the other side, Sakai, yes, he's got some promise. Uh, he's got a good record, 14-1-1. He, you know, he's 4-0 in the UFC. But that is hiding how his fights have gone, in my opinion. Uh, Chase Sherman, his UFC debut, he's probably about to lose that decision Manages to win the fight via ground and pound four minutes into the third round. All right, you know, good to see him get a win when he's got his back against the wall. Chase Sherman, not the best opponent, though. Takes a split decision over Andrei Orlovsky, his next fight. A lot of people feel, you know, Orlovsky won that. Uh, He outstruck Sakai, and that's not what you want to see. Uh, KO's Marcin Tabor. That's a nice win, but Tabor pretty much shot at this point. That was only a year ago, that win. So, you know, Tabor has not really been the guy that he was in his early career. And then, uh, you know, he takes another close decision over Blagoly Ivanov in his last fight. And that's that's what I'm looking at this fight, saying, you know, what can Overeem do that Ivanov—or what can Ivanov do that Overeem can't? Uh, he does all of the same things. He's patient. He's tricky with the grappling. He's good— uh, at managing distance, you know, he's longer than Ivanov, he's taller than Ivanov for sure, more dangerous. Uh, Ivanov doesn't knock anybody out. So, you know, the mistakes Ivanov punishes, you know, they hurt. But when, when somebody of Overeem size punishes you for them, you're in trouble. So, you know, for me, the pick is Overeem. I get the interest in Sakai as a dog, but I think people are gonna be all over that because there aren't a lot of dogs that you can really get behind. You know, the only way I I think Sakai does get the win is if he somehow manages to get a third or a fourth round knockout. It's totally in play, but Overeem has shown the ability to weather storms. Sakai is not like a murderous power puncher, Uh, you know, unless we get somebody, a referee with an itchy trigger finger to stop the fight. I think, you know, Overeem does get in trouble at some point. He survives, you know, loses the round, but I see him taking three out of two rounds over five rounds you know he's he's busy enough he mixes in some grappling I think he can hit value over him that is Sakai in a win obviously is is going to be a value but I'm, I'm more interested in ream uh we'll mix in some Sakai just to be safe because it's a heavyweight main event you, you have to do it um, but I'd be careful getting getting too overweight on Sakai all right the co-main Alonzo Menafield 8300 on draftkings taken on Ovans Saint Pru, 7900 this is a rescheduled fight from two weeks ago, when Saint Pro had a false positive for COVID. Don't love that these guys at 205 and two pretty big 205ers are getting right back to it two weeks later after cutting the weight. You know this happened on on weigh-ins day, and you know both of these guys were on weight, and, and the fight got scrapped. So, not something you really want to see a, a guy, uh, you know, anybody cutting weight two weeks in a two times in two weeks but here we are uh that may mean that both guys kind of look for that first round finish uh, that's definitely menafield's preferred path to victory it's most of his his signature wins are early finishes he you know he got a lesson in, in his last fight where he lost to devin clark about going three rounds and he did persevere he was obviously tired cuz clark just fights in a way that is, is scrappy and and will exhaust you if you're not uh, the clearly superior grappler. But, you know, he, he managed to get up when he was taken down. He managed to keep fighting. He had Clark in trouble at points in the fight. So, you know, it, it's a loss that we learned some good things about Menafield from. Um, St. Preux at this point is, you know, really just fighting for paychecks. He went up to heavyweight his last fight. Now he's back down to light heavy, um, cutting the weight two times again. N- not great after being up at heavyweight at his last fight. But he's got that vet lesson to teach people time and time again. Did it to Tyson Pedro, uh, did it to Mikhail Olazzeek. Um, you know, going going back, he's got some signature wins, but they're kind of in a different era of MMA. Um but you know, his his main path to victory in this one is that Menafield doesn't really grapple well. He's strong, but he can get himself in trouble. So St. Pru has got a couple of really tricky submissions in his bag. He's got a Von Flu choke that people have aptly nicknamed the Von Pru choke. Uh, you know, it, it's, a, it's, a, it's a way that – a finish submission that people don't really have a way out of easily that when he hits it real clean. So Menafield definitely is at risk of that. The pricing is so close together. The winner has an easy way to hit value. But there is a chance that if this gets past the first round, both of these guys are going to tire a little quicker with the weight cutting. Uh, end up, you know, uh, kind of just leaning on each other for significant parts of the second and third round. And barring a finish, they they could the winner could not hit value. Um, you know, you're going to use both sides because they've they've got potential for that early finish, um, but. I think it's going to be a very popular fight, and I'm, I'm again, going to be a little bit cautious here. Um, my official pick is probably going to be St. Prue. Uh, I just don't think Menafield is ready for the grappling at this level yet. St. Prue is still a very good athlete. All right, then we're skipping Rosa Eubanks. That fight is canceled. As of now, we'll see if they manage to pull a rabbit out of their hat to face Jara Eubanks, but with weigh-ins tomorrow, pretty tough to do. Moving on to Michelle Perea facing Zalim Imidaev, Perea 8200, Imidaev 8K. Well, the UFC just figured they would take two, you know, madmen and stick them in the the octagon together, and that kind of works for us as fans. Uh, Perea, if you've never seen him, is the dude who, like, breakdances on his way out to the octagon, does backflips, flips off the cage during the fight tries to land illegal backflip head stomps um, (laughs) when he gets a downed opponent. He, you know, he didn't do it last fight really as much, but like has continued to try to do it. Even though I'm sure someone on his team has said like, if you knock someone out with that, you lose by disqualification. Like, don't, don't do that. Um, You won't like get your win bonus and they will. Um, But you know, uh, he's, he said he would rather be an entertainer than a, Good fighter, uh, more or less. You know, it's funny because his last fight against Diego Sanchez, he did cut out a lot of the theatrics. You know, there was less on the way out to the cage. In the cage, he was all business. You know, was just really efficient. Uh, manhandled Diego, much bigger man, and beat him up pretty well. I, you know, my only criticism of that performance, outside of kneeing Diego in the head and losing by DQ. Was that, um, you know, he he didn't keep his foot on the gas as much as I would have liked. Uh, he was clearly able to do whatever he wanted against Sanchez, but was just kind of apprehensive. I think he had kind of worried about grappling with Diego and, and maybe didn't want to get too close to him because that was really Sanchez's only path to victory. Um, you know, he's saying he wants to get back to entertaining. I still think that like he knows he's got to put it together to stay in the UFC. He can't just be entertaining and then lose all of his fights. Um, So, you know, uh, I, I think we'll see maybe somewhere in between the Sanchez fight um, and the Tristan Connolly fight on his end. Ima man. He was really hyped up coming in uh, to his fight. um, With Max Griffin. Uh, I believe that fight was in Russia and loses a decision there. Uh, you know, Max Griffin was just out-grappling him consistently. You know, he had no answer for it. Kind of worrisome in general. You know, Perez is not a guy that's going to look for a lot of takedowns. Um, but you know, he did hit a couple against Diego Sanchez when they were there to, to, to be taken. Um, you know, he hit a couple against Tristan Connolly. Like, he's a strong dude, and he'll tackle you to the ground if he is given the opportunity. Um so you know that's that's something to worry about for Emadayev yeah, Emadayev also like sure he's had some okay moments with the striking like he he's hurt Danny Roberts in, in their fight at Spots but you know Danny Roberts is not a hard guy to put away uh he didn't and Roberts knocked him out you know making Emadayev 0 2 in his UFC fights um but times being what they are uh they, guess he was able to get to the States or is training in the States at this point And uh, they got him on a card here for for all that. I think he does, he will put on a pretty entertaining fight. He wants to be a flashy kickboxer. Uh, he wants to do spinning stuff and, and hurt people and be a bully. That's a great matchup with, with Perea and, and his off the wall uh, <laughs> styling. But you know, I just can't see Perea unless he shoots himself in the foot losing to that. Um, I think Imadiyev being willing to come forward is just going to lead right into Perea's, you know, intense power um, and flying knees and all, all the, you know, the, the works, but do keep in mind that with Perea, like the, the X factors are huge. Like he could definitely get DQ'd again. Uh, He could, you know, get his foot caught trying to backflip off the cage and, end up on the ground and, you know, in a bad position. All kinds of weird things could happen. Um, The winner of the fight probably exceeds value, but again, this is another one that's going to be really heavily targeted and could disappoint given that, you know, sometimes when these guys that are both crazy are in the ring and they know the other person is crazy, like they're a little more cautious because that's their big advantage. I'm the crazy dude. You know, you don't want to come strike with me. Then, you know, when you're facing that, it's not quite the same. You, you kind of have to fight a real fight. <laughs> um, but give me Perea as the pick. Then we got Brian Kelleher, 9,200 on DraftKings. Uh, taking it on Kevin Natividad, 7K. You know, late replacement here for, for Kelleher uh, in Natividad. Natividad's got a nice record, but he's really not fighting people who are better than 500 uh, down in the LFA. You know, taking his chance here, getting getting a, um, a contract as a late replacement, should get another fight out of it. Kelleher, the better fighter. Um, the thing that interests me most is that Natividad probably is going to, you know, do what the UFC wants him to do as a late replacement, just throw caution to the wind and come out and, and swing, uh, and that could be great for Kelleher because, you know, he fights a guy like Cody Stamen. He really doesn't have a path to victory. Stamen just points him. Um, you know, he fights a guy like Hunter Azur, uh, who is looking pretty good with the striking most of the fight until, you know, he gets a little sloppy and Kelleher wings a crushing hook uh, to win by KO. That's what he needs. He needs he needs guys that are going to make mistakes. You know, same thing with Odie Osborne. Like, he just goes in there and, and you know, leaves himself open to, for, for a submission. Uh, so he he... He's not going to score well in DraftKings unless his opponent pushes it. That Kelleher, that is. So, given that Natividad is a guy with some early knockouts, uh, is probably going to look to just make the fight exciting. Doesn't care if he wins or loses as much because he's got another draft, another uh, UFC fight probably coming down the, down the road for him as long as he uh, gives them what they're looking for. But Kelleher, you know, the easy pick, 9,200 a tough price tag, but I don't think a lot of people are going to. That price tag in GPPs, um, you know, maybe because it's easy to build a, a lineup with this pricing this week, um, you might have a little bit higher than it usually is. But I don't think most people are going to be jumping up and down to roster Kelleher at 9200. So maybe a slight discount there uh, on on the ownership. All right, moving on. Tiago Moises 9K even on DraftKings. Jalen Turner. 7,200. I don't get this pricing and this line. Like, sure, Jalen Turner has his flaws. Um, you know, his UFC career, he's two and two. Uh, he's beaten Kalen Potter pretty easily. And um, what's his name, Kulabau. Uh You know, not, not guys that are really UFC caliber in the least. He's lost to guys uh, that are, you know, Pretty solid UFC caliber in Vincente Luque and Matt Frivola. You know, Luque, he was a late replacement. You know, took the fight on short notice. Came in and and just traded with Luque. Um, Was given as good as he got for a bit, but just was eventually crumpled by the power that Luque possesses. Frivola was a back-and-forth fight. Uh, Frivola's grappling was just getting the better of him. Um, You know, he and and Frivola, like... you know he's a guy that doesn't care about getting hit, so he he was coming forward despite Turner's length and power, and um, you know that made Turner uncomfortable, and he ended up losing the fight. But it was a close fight. Moises, on the other hand, um, you know, same thing. He's two and two in the UFC. He's lost to pretty quality guys in Benil Dariush and Demir Ismagulov. Um, you know he beat Kurt Holabaz. Kind of hot garbage. Uh, I think he went 0 5 in the UFC. His only highlight was a knockdown of Shane Burgos, which he promptly followed uh, to the ground to get armbar submitted from bottom. Uh, and then, you know, his last fight, he got the doors knocked off of him for a round with Michael Johnson. Came out to start the second, managed to grab a heel hook and submit him. Uh, his official stat line one significant strike. That's it. He got his win bonus of 70 points, one significant strike. No advances, no takedowns. Uh, you know, I guess if you're ever on FanDuel, he got a submission attempt there. You know, um, that's that's fluky. That's his, that's the definition of fluky. You know, you, you look at uh, Turner as a guy that has, you know, struggled against some, some people taking him down, um, but... The only person Moises has been able to take down is Kurt Hullaba. Um You know, her Hullabaugh, like we said, kind of blocked. Um, and outside of Favola, no one has taken Turner down in the UFC. That's not surprising given his position. So we don't really know. You know, I, I think if you kind of look at, at his, his takedown numbers, um, you may think that he's not, uh, you know, he's got 76% takedown defense, you might think, like, oh, like, not that strong. Um, But that'll remain to be seen. Uh, And Moises, you know, not an aggressive wrestler. Um, Sure, could he grab a limb uh, in similar fashion and pull it off? Yes, but, I mean, Jalen Turner is the better striker, for sure. He's the longer man, the more powerful man. Um, He's got some of that um, Kevin Holland- in him that is like he's a better sum of his parts uh, but doesn't put it all together in the in, in fights but we saw Kevin Holland turn that corner recently uh, so maybe that's the same kind of thing like Turner is a big guy for the weight he hasn't really figured out how to use his length uh, with the with the better fighters yet but that will come with time he's only 25 I think he demolishes Moises. You know, you looked at what Michael Johnson, who's a pretty long, uh, lightweight himself, what he did to, to Moises was just, I mean, a whitewashing for, for five minutes and, and just, you know, did what Michael Johnson does and, and punted it away and lost yet another fight that he, he should have won. So give me Jalen Turner. He's going to be a very popular dog, but, um, I think maybe the submission threat scares off enough people to keep it respectable. But yeah, uh, uh, not a ton of interest for me at Moises at 9K. Just It would have to be a first-round submission to even hit value, uh, in my opinion there. Then we got Barstos Fabinsky taking on Andre Muniz. Fabinski, 8,600. Muniz, 7,600 on DraftKings. Fabinski is nice because he has one discernible skill set. He is a top-heavy wrestler. He's going to come out and just look to blast you, take you down, stay on top, be a little bit busy, maybe pass your guard here and there, um, land a little bit of ground and pound it, and, and stay on the ground. And if you get stood back up, guess what? It's right back to it. Uh, you know His UFC record is 3-1. and one. Uh, The one loss being Michelle Prezaris, who cracked him off the opening bell. And they just grabbed a hold of them, submitted them. Uh, that's Prisarris's mo, and like, sure, I don't love seeing that, but um, plenty of guys have, have lost to Prisarris via submission. Uh, you know, he's beat Emil Meek, who's a so-so fighter. The other the other wins aren't really anything to speak of, but uh, his his what his what his UFC uh, card is missing is that. He was supposed to fight Darren Stewart in UFC London, the event that was going to be the first one of this whole pandemic um, beginning in March. That fight card got scrapped because, you know, they couldn't get American fighters over there. And Cage Warriors actually picked up the fight from the UFC, made it their main event. They were able to get one more card in there. Um, And Fabinski, despite taking a pretty decent Amount of punishment from Darren Stewart just did his thing and, and out-wrestled Stewart uh, from bell to bell. And you know if you can survive Darren Stewart's punishment, um, you know I'm not that worried about you surviving most of of this level. Um, you know Mooney's he had an okay UFC debut um, against Antonio Arroyo. Mixed in some takedowns, uh, had some submission attempts. You know, it was it was a win, um, but it wasn't like a, a strong showing. Mooney's on the contender series did not look quite as good, and that's why his takedown defense is only 33%. Um, so, you know, should Ken Fabinsky get in trouble here by getting into Mooney's guard? Sure, yeah, yeah. Mooney's is a fairly slick submission grappler. That could be trouble, but that's hard to pull off. You have to make that submission happen early uh, before guys are sweaty and greasy and, and hard to hold on um, you know, unless you've, you've got some some real slick submission skills. Um, so I, I think Fabinski's just way too much here for Muniz. Uh, Muniz probably can get back up enough where Fabinsky does have the potential to have a huge DraftKings score, You know, somewhere between 6 and 10 takedowns. Uh, because, like I said, he will only look to do one thing, take you down, and, and ride out the, the round on top. So Fabinsky, maybe just a sprinkle of Moonies on the chance that that early submission does happen. Maybe he's got some jiu-jitsu that, that is that level, uh, and we'll find out. Then we've got Vivia Rougeau taking on Montana De La Rosa. Not a ton of interest in this fight. Arujo, 8,900. De La Rosa, 7,300. You know, this fight is Rujo's to win, probably by decision. Her striking should be better than De La Rosa's, who's got fairly wooden striking. De La Rosa's calling card is her, her uh, BJJ, but she doesn't have great wrestling to get it there. She can't really hold people down as well. Um, you know, 7,300. If you're gonna go hunting for a finish down here, that's not the worst price uh, to take a shot at. Arujo, you know, she had the the one finish against um, uh, Talita Bern, Bernard Bernardo. Um, you know, that's that's pretty low level competition. Uh, she had a decent fight with with Jessica Davis, but then Jessica I um, managed to to handle her pretty soundly and wore her down. There is also a chance that Arusha could wear down. Again, we've seen her have some gas tank issues uh, and De La Rosa could finish it late. You know, uh, third round finish at 7,300, still gonna need more stats than that to, to hit value. Uh, Arujo, you know, would have to have probably a finish here. I don't think her volume is gonna be enough to pay off 8,900. De La Rosa pretty durable, so I don't see it happening, but Arujo's the pick. Um, not a ton of dk interest and then the uh the first fight of the night uh, alexander romanov taken on marcos rogerio de lima romanoff is definitely going to be a draw for the ufc if he can win some fights Um, his background is he's moldovian came up as an amateur wrestler went over to sumo uh, because he's a pretty rotund dude and, you know, had a little bit of success there, I guess. But, you know, that probably wasn't going to pay the bills much longer. Converted to MMA. Um, you did a little kickboxing. And, uh, you know, then he starts fighting in Eagles Fighting Championship uh, over there in Europe. And, you know, he's, he's fighting mostly cans up until about five fights ago. Then he starts to get guys with somewhat legitimate records. Um, and he's still winning first round, first round, first round. Uh, his very last fight, he had a, a beautiful slam KO. You know, so he's caught the UFC's attention. Um, they were trying to get him in a, a, onto the April card against Rafael Pessoa. You know, scheduling him against Pessoa tells me, like, they want upward mobility with him. Um... He had a fight scrapped with Marcin Tabora. Again, like, you know, Sabora is a beatable opponent for any decent heavyweight, uh, especially a guy that can wrestle. Um, so again, you know, they're, they're probably trying to, to get him uh, some cred here. And then Rogerio de Lima, same thing. Like, uh, he's got about a round of gas in the tank. He's not a hard guy to out grapple. You just have to not get clipped by a heavy overhand right. And you're probably gonna win. Hopefully we see Romanov uh, do some of those signature slams. Uh, Dude definitely racks up the frequent flyer miles on people. Uh, And he's pretty athletic for a guy who's 265 and, you know, pretty... uh, (laughs) He's like the the second coming of of, uh, Roy Big Country Nelson. Um, Got that physique and, and, you know, kind of the demeanor as well. Um, So... I think that should be a, a pretty fun fight. Uh, I'm going to have mostly R- Romanov in my lineups. Um, maybe one or two sprinkles of Dilema, given that, you know, he does have that that crunching um, power. And, um, you know, a- against a newcomer who's maybe not faced that, that level of, of striking yet, could be a problem. Romanoff 8,400 Delima 7,800 on, on DraftKings from the pricing there. Uh, and then, uh, I missed one fight here. Uh, Hunter Azor taken on Cole Smith, um, Azor's 9,100 Cole Smith, 7,100 pretty straightforward on this one as well. Uh, Azor, even though he's got the wrestling background, you know, has really focused on his striking in the UFC, um, been pretty solid. Uh, you know, a, a win against Brad Katona is a, is a nice uh, signature win there. He was beating Brian Kelleher pretty solidly, uh, you know, was outstriking him by double, was maybe too successful. I know that's weird to say, but, like, he was landing too easily and was running out of gas in that second round, starting to leave openings, and one of those openings was uh, uh, a hook to his, his face from Brian Kelleher, and, you know, the fight was over. So that should be a lesson for him. Maybe he does mix in the wrestling a bit. Uh, Cole Smith, really just a grappler by trade. Um, you know, it, it kind of likes to make the, the fight uh, scrappy. Uh, he's a Canadian guy. That That's kind of, you know, one of their things um, when they're Canadian wrestlers. Yeah, he's 1-1 one and one in the UFC. Uh, lost a close split decision to Miles Johns uh, and, and beat Mitch Gagnon. You know, uh, we don't know where we're at with Cole Smith but with those two things. Like John's up and down fighter has got, got some promise, but um, hasn't delivered on it. Mitch Gagnon is a guy who was a good fighter, came back uh, after a layoff and, you know, didn't look very good. So, uh, you know, I'm leaning towards Cole Smith is probably not going to be on the same level as Hunter Azor. Um, but, you know, uh, we have to be careful with the price tag there. Uh, of 9100 without the grappling that that's going to be hard to to, um, hit value in a decision can he can he get a finish sure like he had some dangerous striking there he looked decent but